All right, good morning. It is good to have all the kids with us today for family worship. I think it's very appropriate today as we will be talking about communion, uh, especially in light of the Passover. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Thank you. And so we've been walking through the the book of Exodus. Last week we covered all of chapter 11, which was a warning of this 10th and final plague. And this 10th and final plague, God has promised to kill every firstborn of the Egyptians, from the Pharaoh's own firstborn all the way down to the cattle's firstborn, every one of the firstborn. But the Israelites would be protected. Today we're going to talk about how they are going to be protected, the Passover. And as we see, as we will see, this is the defining moment in the Old Testament for God's redemptive story. Jesus himself points to this as a foreshadowing of him. I think it's significant that we understand that this is the clearest foreshadowing of Christ that we have in all the Old Testament. And so my goal over the next few weeks as we really dive into this chapter, and we kind of slow down. This is a long chapter. I want to spend some time in it. Is I want us to see more and more the significance of communion. I want us to see how important it is. I want us to understand it. I want us to appreciate it. And so to understand the Lord's Supper, you really have to understand the Passover first because that was the context of the Lord's Supper. They were celebrating. Jesus was celebrating with his disciples this Passover feast, and he essentially said to them, to his disciples, that this Passover feast that you have been celebrating your whole life, it's actually about me. And so today, as we walk through the first 13 verses of this chapter, I want you to notice a few things. First of all, I want you to notice how God sets the tone in the first two verses of how significant this meal is. Their whole calendar ought to be wrapped around it. Then I want you to notice all the details that God gives as he instructs the Israelites exactly how to prepare for the Passover meal. And then finally, I want you to really be thinking, as I'm reading this, I want you to think about the lamb, okay? I want you to think about the lamb of God that casts away our sins. Notice how Christ is in this. And so let me pray that God would help us to see that. Father, I pray that First of all, I I thank you and and I praise you for who you are and I pray that that you would reign in our hearts and in our lives and as we read this, our faith would be strengthened. I pray that you would help us to see you clearly, that we would be in awe of you, that we would believe you, that we would be strengthened by you and we would treasure you and desire to obey you. Use this, use your word to transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we pick up in verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, 
you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, the the top part of the, the door, of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." So going back to the beginning, we're going to walk through this passage. The first thing, again, that I want you to notice is that God sets a tone for the significance of the Passover and how significant it's going to be for, the, for their lives to come, for, for generations to come. He tells them to remake their calendars so that it starts every single year with this celebration. This is your New Year's now. And we don't know what kind of calendar they had beforehand. Maybe they just went along with whatever the Egyptian calendar was. Maybe they had some kind of agricultural calendar. Whatever it was, doesn't really matter because God says, okay, from now on, from this point on, your new year is now. Your new year starts with the Passover. And in doing this, what is God doing? He's showing that he expects them to prioritize his redeeming work in their lives. They would have a regular reminder of Passover, and it would be built into their very calendar. The month would eventually become known as Nisan, and it corresponds with our March and April, so it makes sense that we celebrate Easter around that time because that's when the, the Passover would have been celebrated. His resurrection would have happened in the month of Nisan. Today, what do we do? We come here on a Sunday, and we've made this the first day of the week, and we call it the Lord's Day. Why do we do that? It's because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we've made it our, the first day of our week to set it aside as a day to remember his redeeming work. So every seven days, God breaks in, he refreshes our memories, and he prevents our lives from being coming secularized. That's what we're doing as we gather. This is how we prioritize his redeeming work in our lives. We gather to re- together to remember his resurrection and his promises. We gather together because this is where God intrudes into our lives and into our hearts. And so here in verse 1 and 2 in our passage today, God is introducing what would become a pattern of events to commemorate his work and to remind his people that he was the one that accomplished their salvation. And so this would become the rhythm of their lives. God gives us these rhythms as a grace in our lives to remind us and to strengthen our faith. 
Now, in verses 3 through 11, we see God's instructions for the Passover. In verses 3 and 4, we see that the Israelites needed to prepare for the feast. They needed to pick out a lamb four days in advance of when they were actually going to roast it. There would be no like last-minute scrambling, right? There's no procrastination when it comes to this meal. It's too important. It's too significant. I mean, this is kind of like Thanksgiving, right? You don't just whip up a turkey last second, right? You, you've got a plan. You've got to get your menu together. You've got to send your invites out. You've got to think through, okay, I've got to thaw the turkey here, and I've got to cook it here. I've got to wake up here. There's planning that goes into a big meal and a feast like this, especially when it's an important one. And so it's significant, I think, that Jesus... Our Passover lamb came into Jerusalem four days before his crucifixion to prepare as the sacrificial lamb. Notice how God instructs them to work together to make sure everybody participates and yet no lamb was wasted. So everyone had to eat and all the meat had to be eaten or burned at the end, right? So if your family was small, you'd pair up with another family. To, to eat a lamb. And so this is meant to be a community meal. And that is hugely significant. It's meant to be a community meal. The Passover was never designed to be celebrated individually. There was no Lone Ranger Passover celebrants, okay? Communion. If you come to the New Testament, there's a reason we call it communion, right? And often in our culture, we, we so individualize everything, that communion becomes this individualized thing. And so there's a reason we've got these tables set up, right? Uh, I, I did this this morning. I wanted us to experience communion like they would have experienced it back in the New Testament, okay? They, they didn't do it in rows by themselves, and they, they would come around a table, and they would actually, they would eat a whole meal together, and it's significant that they, they would take one loaf of bread because there's one body, and they would take it apart, and they would give it to each person. And we, we actually do that. You may not even realize this, but when Glenn prepares our, our feast, our, our communion, he, he takes these, how do you even say this word? Matzahs. And he takes one of these, and he, he breaks it apart. And so it does come from one bread, one body. And so... This aspect of community is so important. I wanted us to come together. And so at the end of the sermon, and when we go into our time of communion, I'm going to explain how we're going to do this. But uh, all the believers are going, to, are going to come together. We're going to come together, and we're going, to, we're going to celebrate communion together. And we're going to actually talk to one another and remind one another of the gospel. And so we're going to taste the gospel. We're going to talk and remind one another of the gospel. And so it's going to, I'm just warning you ahead of time. This is what's happening, because I know some of you are a little bit nervous about this. But... I really believe that this is a, a powerful moment for us as a church. It, and, I, and my hope is that moving forward, and we're not going to do this every week, but moving forward, you will remi- you'll be reminded of this moment as we gather together like they did in the, in the New Testament. And we, we talk to one another and we remind one another of the gospel. So I'll explain a little bit more of that towards the end. But I want to continue to move on in our text here. So look down at verse 5. In verse 5, we see the quality of the lamb that was to be selected. Your lamb shall be without blemish, without defect, perfect. And now, of course, there's nothing, this has nothing to do with the quality of the taste 
of the meat, right? I mean, spots on a lamb don't make it taste better or taste worse. What this is, it's symbolism here. It's symbolic to, of, the, of the perfect God that would provide the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And it's symbolic of the perfection that God requires. And it reminds us that none of us meet that requirement. All of us have blemishes. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says it's, it's got to be a male, a year old. And this is not God being sexist here. This is what was, it was typical for a male lamb to be eaten and the female lambs to be preserved for, for breeding and for, for milking. At one year of age, the lamb or the goat would have been fully grown and an ideal age to eat. It says you may take from the sheep or the goats. This follows the pattern of God both requiring and providing a sacrificial animal for the atonement of sins. You think about the Garden of Eden. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, they, the, the promise was if you did this, God said you're surely going to die. And they didn't physically die in that moment, but there was a spiritual death that happened. And immediately they, they felt shame. They realized that they were naked. So what does God do? He graciously covers them with what? It wasn't leaves. He covers them with an animal skin. The first sacrifice for sin. And then we go to Abraham. When he's commanded by God to sacrifice his only son, the son of the promise, what does God do? He graciously gives a substitute ram as a sacrifice. You come to Jesus. He was a young man without blemish or defect. He was sinless, the sacrificial lamb. He met all the qualities of the ultimate Passover lamb. So when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, what does he do? He proclaims, here's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Paul, also 1 Corinthians, explicitly calls Christ our Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And so the New Testament leaves absolutely no doubt that the Passover was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Here in verse 6, God instructs the Israelites of the timing of the meal. It says it's to be on the 14th day of the month at twilight. And so the 14th day of the month would have been, uh, if you're looking at like a lunar calendar, uh, it would have been a full moon. It would have been plenty of light. The word twilight can actually mean, though, it can be translated, and you may see a footnote on, in, your, in your translation, it can mean between two evenings. It would have taken several hours to prepare the lamb and roast it. Uh, but notice in verse 8, the eating of the lamb didn't happen until after sundown. And so it makes sense in the Gospels that it's, it's indicated that the Last Supper was eaten at night. In verse 7, we read this. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And so all around and on top of the doorpost. And again, they're, they're, the symbolism is so rich here. We, we see the power of the blood of a sacrifice to protect God's people. Look at verse 13. He explains a little bit more. The, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Notice the blood shall be a sign for who? For you. And so the, the act of painting the door with blood was not simply so that God could see. I mean, God's omniscient. He knew who he was going to pass over and who he wasn't. But the act was meant to be a, a sign for Israel, too. And I believe for the outside world. You think, 
it's significant that he had them paint the, the doorway. That was the, the doorway to the outside where the world can see. It was meant to be a, a public act of faith by which they were able to proclaim to the outside world that I believe that my God saves. And so you come to communion and, and we see in Paul, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. he says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that word proclaim, it always means like announce. It's typically meant to, to, uh, towards the outside world, but it is an announcement, one, to our church family, but also to anybody that comes in here who's not yet a believer, that they would see us communing together and they would see us reminding one another of the, the love of Christ towards us. One of the purposes of communion then is, is to proclaim this and announce to the world salvation through the blood of Christ. Now, I think, I think this is really significant. That when Jesus sat down with his disciples at the Last Supper and he redefines the Passover meal for them and he connects his blood with the new covenant, he instructs his disciples not to take the blood and, and paint it on a doorway, does he? He instructs them to take it into themselves, to ingest it, to drink it. I think that's significant. Instead of the blood of the lamb covering you, now the blood of the lamb is inside of you. In the book of Hebrews, we read that instead of the sacrificial blood being sprinkled on an altar, now it's our hearts that are sprinkled with the blood of the lamb. Let me read that for you. Hebrews 10.22 is where I'm getting this from. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And so this is what gives us the ability to, to approach God with full assurance, without shame, without guilt, without condemnation. How is that even possible? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that phrase, hearts sprinkled clean, commentaries are pretty much unanimous in believing that that is an obvious reference to the Old Testament practice of sprinkling blood on the altar to atone for sins. Now, I don't believe like the Catholics that the, the bread and the wine or the juice or whatever you're using literally turns into the, the blood and the, the body of Christ. But again, I think it is significant that Jesus introduces the new covenant by instructing the disciples to take his blood into their bodies. Think about it this way. Water, okay? It's got two purposes for our bodies, right? First purpose is just to, to clean our bodies, to, to, to wash them, wash the dirt off of our bodies. But secondly, we ingest water and it nourishes us and it keeps us alive. We need it to sustain us for life. The, the first purpose of water to clean us, it's good, it's necessary, it's even pleasurable, but the second purpose is even more necessary. It's life-sustaining. And I think this is what's being implied. The blood of Christ doesn't just do something for us, it does something in us. The new covenant, that's what the new covenant is, isn't it? When, when we see the new covenant prophesied in Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit, my spirit. I will cause you to walk in my ways and be obedient to me. And so communion should be precious to us. One, because yes, 
God uses it to remind us of what he has already accomplished on our behalf, and he uses it to remind us of his faithfulness to keep his promises. And it's through us being reminded of these things that God strengthens our faith, our faith and, 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 and he strengthens our affections towards Christ, the renewed. Our, our hatred towards our own sin should increase and our, our desire to obey increases. Our pride melts away and our humility grows as we become more willing to confess our sins and, and to repent. And so communion is powerful for us. That's why we celebrate it every single Sunday. Because God uses it to sanctify us. He reminds us of what he's already accomplishes, accomplished. And he reminds us that he is faithful to keep the promise that he will sanctify us. So I, I hope you're seeing that the Passover was an amazing event for the Israelites because of what it accomplished for them. But it pales in comparison to the, what it foreshadows for us, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Now, go back to Exodus chapter 12 and verses 8 through 10. Here we see God's instructions on how to prepare the lamb to eat. And notice the specifics. They, they shall eat the, the flesh that night. Okay, so that there's not going to be a long wait between the meal and the Exodus. You're not going to have to wait around. It's roasted on the fire. Why? Because that's the quickest way to roast meat. With unleavened bread. There's no time to let the bread rise. With bitter herbs that they shall eat. And that's just, that, that was a simple, quick side that they could put together. Starting to see a theme here, right? It says, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. And so don't go so quickly that you don't cook the meat. That's gross and unhealthy. But don't take the time to boil it. That's going to take too long. Do, do it quickly. Eat in haste. It says in verse 10, And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. I think God's setting the tone right away. Trust me. I will provide for you. Don't even save some for breakfast tomorrow morning. Trust me. I will provide for you. Verse 11, In this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So be ready. Your exodus is at hand. There will be no time to pack. There's no time to sleep. Fasten your belts. Get your sandals on. Keep your staff in your hand. Eat in haste. And he said it's the Lord's Passover. He names the meal. And think about that. We don't typically name meals, okay, unless they're significant or if it's Taco Tuesday. Uh, we, we typically name meals that are significant, like Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas dinner. And so right away, he's setting the tone. This is a meal. This is the Lord's Passover. This is, I want you to constantly have this meal and remember what I have done for you, what I've done to redeem you and protect you and provide for you. I want you to remember my grace and my mercy. So one practical application that I see flowing out of this is that I think this passage teaches us the wisdom of taking time to prepare our hearts and our minds as we come and gather for worship and to, to celebrate the feast, to celebrate Christ. It's a serious thing to, to gather together as God's people to worship in his presence and, and share a meal together to remember what Christ has done. And I know often on Sunday mornings, like that's Satan's time to really 
cause chaos, right? We, we wake up late, we rush around, we, we're stressed trying to get the kids out the door, we're arguing with one another, and, and we come in here at 10.30 in the morning and we're already exhausted, we're easily distracted, we're, we, it's just hard. First, let me say this, if that's you this morning, praise God that you're here in spite of that, right? That, that is God's grace that you, he got you here and you're here now. That is a good thing. We should celebrate that. So don't feel ashamed that you're here. God has been gracious to bring you here in the midst of the chaos. But I wonder how our experience on Sunday mornings would change if we spent a little extra time preparing our hearts and our minds. Maybe going to bed a little bit early. And I have to confess that did not happen in our house last night. <laughs> but maybe trying to go, bed, go to bed a little early on Saturday. Maybe perhaps setting our alarms a little bit earlier on Sunday morning so that we've got time to check the newsletter and, and see what passage is going to be preached on and read it. We go to the shower, pray while we're in the shower, and maybe even pray that God would lead us to who do we need to talk to to encourage this morning. And perhaps instead of the traditional argument in the car on the way, we, we turn on some praise music. And I know these are overly idealistic and perhaps pie-in-the-sky ideas, but I do think there is wisdom in taking a little extra time to prepare your hearts and your minds before you come in on Sunday. I know that's hard. And, my and if, if that happens for you, that is God's grace that he gives you to be able to do that. And so next week, if you come in frazzled, I'm glad you're here, okay? <laughs> I'm glad you're here, and it is good, and we should celebrate those Sundays also. But what a privilege we have to come every single week and gather together on the Lord's Day to celebrate what he has already accomplished for us and remind one another of his promises and that he is faithful. And so today, I want us to keep, a, keep that in mind as we celebrate communion. And so this is what's going to happen. We're all going to, uh, in a moment, I'm going to direct you to come and gather around the table. And this celebration is for believers, okay? If you are sitting here this morning and you're not yet a believer, we are so glad you're here, okay? Don't feel ashamed to not come to the table. This is a time for you to witness uh, what God is doing in our church family, though. And so uh, I, want to, I want you, even if you're not a church member, I would invite you to come to the table if you're a believer. And if you have kids with you, bring them to the table. They're not going to partake in the meal itself, but I think it's important for them to be with you during this time, okay? And what's going to happen is after everybody gets a seat, and if, you, if there's not a room, there's probably not room for everybody to sit down, but we'll try to squish in and sit as many people as possible. And if there's not room for you to sit, you can stand right behind everybody. And then those who are closest to the trays, if you could help just start passing around the elements, don't take a bite or take a drink. I will guide you through this, and we're going to do this together. And we're uh, we're going to say a, a few things to one another as we do this. All right, so if you feel comfortable, would you guys go ahead and start filling in the seats and then standing around and passing out the elements. And so come on forward. Yeah, come on. Yep, yep, go ahead. 
And then for those of you that don't have a seat, just kind of fill in all the way around the table, wherever you can find a spot. There's a couple seats up here. Here's a seat. Yeah, and go ahead and start taking the trays and passing around the elements. There should be enough for everybody. Uh, not, yeah, not those. Yep. So you can pick up the tray and pass it around. Make sure everybody gets some. I hope we have enough. If you still need one, raise your hand. Getting close. All right, Brandon's got some. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so before you take the, the bread and eat it, I want you to look to your church family. Look to the people that are close to you and say, this is Christ's body. Do this in remembrance of me. And let's eat. In the same way, also, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you can eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so look to your church family and say, this is the blood of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. You bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sacrificed your body, shed your blood so that we could be forgiven. And I thank you for bringing us together, united in you. And that for all of eternity, we will celebrate this meal. And one day, we look forward to the day that we will celebrate it face to face with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would unite us as a church. That you would build strong relationships. That we feel loved and we feel your love and we know you. And we trust you and we believe you. And we believe your promises. Thank you for the sacrifice you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go back to your seats and stand, and we're going to continue to worship together.